Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. What way do we start this time? Um, this is Marie with another Upswell Grief interview with Jazz. Jazz, I have asked you to come back on camera with me. We only had you here about two months ago, not even. And then something happened that I want to quickly share before I get you to introduce yourself. I was very, very fortunate, I have to say. I feel very blessed that I read your book that is now on the market and can't remember how long it's been since a book got me to stay up till 2 a.m. in the morning. Yes, that's what I love hearing. Thank you. I I literally have goosebumps just saying that. I sat there till 2 a.m. in the morning and I'm like, just one more page, just one more page. I was so drawn to the book. And after that, I contacted you and I said, I cannot believe that I had you live on camera and I knew not even close to half of the stuff that was shared in the book. So before we go into more detail, would you do us the honor and please introduce yourself quickly to those who haven't heard who you are yet? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, my name is Jazz Rawlinson. I'm a book coach for female change makers. Um, I'm a resilient speaker and a best-selling author. This is actually my fourth book that's just come out. Um, but it is my debut memoir. So it's the first time I've actually told my story in full. And as you were saying, Marie, so many stories that I haven't actually really shared with the world before. Some of that was due to some fear. Some of it was timing. Some of it was not sure it's safe yet to share these stories. Um, But, yeah, my work is all about the power of storytelling and really healing lives through personal storytelling That's what I do. And boy, can I understand why you're saying that? Because, you know, I just want to put a disclaimer out there uh, for some content warning, like really, because I, I know that there are some really deep and dark things in your book that you share where I was blown away by your strength, by your courage to speak up about that. And I know you said, oh, I don't feel that way, but I, I certainly, I was just complete in awe of you for sharing what you did. Like we are talking about, um, you know, not not just your dad passing uh, from suicide when you were young, but the domestic violence, the sexual assaults, the emotional um, uh, trauma that you went through, sex trafficking, like you went undercover. There is just so much where you're like, with every turning of the page, I'm like, could that go any deeper? And unfortunately, sometimes even could that go any darker, you know, and I was just so blown away and not just by your strength that you went through it, but by your freaking courage to step up for people who've really got no one to step up for them and that you went undercover. Like, I'm not going to take too much away. Can you, can you take us a little journey through that book because I really, I cannot recommend your book highly enough. I really want people to read your story and uh, maybe you can give us a bit of a sneak preview, like a private audience. Yeah, (laughs) thanks for not giving everything away because sometimes people get a bit excited. Um, I think what you were saying too about how you very kindly shared with me the other day that you feel like you said you were blown away by my courage and I I was like, I don't really feel that way. And I'm not sure whether it's because of the hindsight. I I don't know whether it's because of the distance of time between some of these things happening. So they feel 
almost, I don't know, like another lifetime, or maybe it's because I know so many people that do a lot more in this space, you know, people who actually do go undercover overseas with, you know, victims and survivors of of sex trafficking. And so I felt like what I did was a a small scratching of the surface. Um, But I guess at the same time, I did I did do something and I'll share about that in a moment, but um, I guess you're right in that I did choose not to look away from the things that I was seeing and to do what I could. And so for anyone that's watching live, what Marie's um, kind of referencing is that in the book I share for the very first time about this period of 18 months where I, I did go undercover into what was happening here in Brisbane in Australia, the city where I live. and specifically the exploitation that was happening within the beauty industry and the agricultural industry with Asian tourists and students. Mm. Um, And I guess the way that I got into that was because I had just come back from a trip to Thailand where I'd spent time um, with actual undercover workers who do go in and rescue children and young women and and boys um, from sex trafficking. Mm. And when I came back, I was just so on fire to keep doing whatever I could in this space. I didn't want to ignore what was happening across the world with sex slavery, sex trafficking, exploitation. And I knew that it was probably happening in Australia, but I wasn't quite sure whether it was actually a, a big problem here or not because I, I want to pause you here hmm. for a second because, like, when I read this, I, th- I, I literally, I just felt so naive. You know, I, I know that you hear things about that, and I, uh, a friend of mine is um, an ex-police, and she told me you wouldn't believe what is going on in those massage parlors, like yeah. right underneath our eyes, like we walk past that in shopping centers. Yeah. Like, any idea what's going on and I felt so naive I thought how can you not know and I'm so fortunate that nothing ever happened to me that I was never approached in any inappropriate way and I I also have to say I don't really visit those massage parlors so it's Mm. something that but but that's why so many people don't understand and you said you feel naive but like Mm. how could a lot of us know because many of us don't there's a very certain niche of or target audience of people that go to these parlors. And so mm-hmm. they're only going there for one reason. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time, you know, and this is what got me into it was I started going, I wonder what's happening here in Australia. Yeah. And then I just started to become more aware of stuff because I was reading about trafficking. I was reading about sex slavery. And then I did some research on cases of sex slavery and trafficking that had happened here in Australia. There was actually a website you could go to with a map of Australia and dots that would show you where trafficking had actually been found to occur and been prosecuted. And that's really what got me into it. And then I just started becoming aware of these massage parlors around um, the south side of Brisbane, where I was living at the time. And It all really started from me seeing an old Queensland house one day and seeing a flashing little neon light in the stairwell and seeing a sign that said open late and going, what is that? Yeah. What is that house? Why why is there massage operating out of there? And also why is it operating until late at night? Yeah. Why is there this like little flashing neon sign that you never see outside of physio Mm -hmm. or a massage therapist or you really only see them, I, I think I'd seen them in Melbourne before outside maybe um, 
food vendors or things like that that were open really late at night, usually Asian um, stores that I would see it outside of. And I just went, I wonder what that is. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think I Googled the name of that venue and it led me straight away to an adult forum, Mm. publicly accessible, not on the dark web or anything like that. And that's where I started. And then I started looking at other massage parlors and I would find that every single time I Googled the um, mobile number because they never had landlines, always mobiles, Mm. it would lead me to an X-rated Twitter account or it would lead me to um, men's, I'm not going to use the word because I don't really want to give, I don't really want (laughs) to promote it in any way, but these forums, these adult forums, kind of like blog sites where men would go. Mm. And um, I just started to read and I was was so repulsed by what I was reading. But at the same time, I just went, I can't ignore this. Mm. Like now that I know about it, I can't ignore this. Yeah, And that was the start of me starting to go into these venues and actually book massages with my own money and just kind of pray and listen to my intuition and hope that these young women would say something or I would see something that would let me know whether they were actually established businesses and I was making too much of it or whether there was something not great going on there and more often than not I found that there were really really bad things happening in these venues so it was a period of 18 months where um, eventually I did I guess if you want to say went undercover Mm -hmm. I created a character for myself on this men's forum and I pretended to be one of them and I would talk in ways that would make it sound like I wasn't an imposter Um, I would mimic their own language or their questions and really try and such a hard thing to do it was really hard like I felt in the book and I'm not going to take too much away I want people to read that story it was such Mm -hmm. an eye-opener for me and I felt uh I felt quite privileged for the way you allow us into your world what you've been through but also showing you know, showing up like you are now, you are freaking amazing. I have no other words and that doesn't even cut it. You know, you are just such a shining example of healing and what is possible when you step up for yourself and when you allow that in. And that's why I wanted you to come back on camera. So um, one thing that really touched me so deeply when I read your story was the friendship you formed with one of those ladies. Yes, I was hoping you'd bring that up because I want people to know that it's not just really dark stories, so I'll let you finish that. Yeah, I I actually didn't want to take too much away because I said, you know, I, I really want this to be a... I really want this to be a call to action for anyone watching this to get your book and read that story. But that that friendship that you formed with one of the ladies, that trust that you built with her, that she got into that space where she actually allowed you in and allowed you to help her. And that friendship went on for quite some time and you actually did invite her into your house as well, which is so beautiful. And I I'm, I'm having goosebumps the whole time. Just about it. Unbelievable. Just go down. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's really like, anyway, I, I want to pick a couple of things out of the book uh, as like little sneak peeks for people yeah, to, of course. You need to read this. And um, one of the things that touched me very deeply, and I know you said you don't want to spend too much time on it, and I really uh, value 
your honesty here and and your you know your boundaries here but very briefly i want to talk about blake because blake is talked about in your story and blake was somebody that you had built up a lot of trust with that you've been in a relationship with yet it actually turned into quite a lot of um crossing boundaries to say it in a very very uh, light form and sexual assault as well so do you want to talk a little bit about him so people go like oh you know because I think so many people can relate to that and think oh you know it was all just me and don't speak up about it and and you did you did speak up about it and you actually really stepped out of your comfort zone about that big time so I'll let you know how much you want to share or not Oh, it was tough. And I, I think I think in the beginning I didn't even really plan to go that deep into what I went through with Blake. Yeah. I had really planned to quite quickly skim over what I went through in my childhood with family violence and what I went through with Blake. And I really wanted, when I set out to write the book, and I want to share this because in my work as a book coach as well, I get people always asking, how do I decide what stories to put in? And you know, I don't know where to start. And the thing is you really do have to write it and see it as a a journey because Mm -hmm. the book will reveal itself to you in time in terms of what needs to be in there. And I never really planned to go into that much depth because I think I wanted to really focus on the the trafficking stuff. Mm -hmm. I wanted to focus on all the great things that happened in my life after the trauma. And I just wanted people to sort of understand a bit about my background. But when I started writing, I just, I couldn't stop. And I realized that there was so much from my teenage years with my dad's emotional abuse that made me the young woman that then went into a toxic relationship. Yeah. Um, that really formed my sense of self and my sense of self-worth. And and that was why I was holding up a mirror of, of what I thought I was, which was someone that didn't have any worth, someone that wasn't, was never really truly going to be loved. And so I held up that mirror and I attracted that back. Mm -hmm. And Blake was someone that I met in the year after my dad's suicide, I'm pretty sure. And we actually went on a date and it was great but there was something in in my my intuition was trying to tell me that this wasn't a good idea mm-hmm. even at that very first date yeah and i i couldn't understand why and i remember coming home and saying to my mum i don't i don't think i'll go out with him again and she said why he he seems so nice and i said i think he's just too nice and that's something that like a lot of men often say they get told and it really upsets them. And at the time I, I couldn't explain it other than that. I just thought he was too nice, Mm -hmm. but now I look back and I realize he was too over the top in his pursuit of me at that stage. And it just felt really deeply uncomfortable. Um, And I talk in the book about how every time he looked at me, I felt like he was just drinking me in. And that was a really intoxicating feeling for someone that had been starved of male love and validation and encouragement from a strong male role model. And so it felt overwhelming, but I ended up, and it felt uncomfortable, but I found my way back to him. And I think it was because there was lots of trauma going on at the time. Um, when people read the book, they'll they'll understand 
more about why I did go back to him. But that ended up becoming an 18-month on and off again friendship slash dating. I never knew what to call it. And that was also what made it so confusing because I was was deeply infatuated with him, very much in love. But Mm. he would never actually call me his girlfriend, even though he was treating me just like a girlfriend many times throughout that 18 months. And because he wouldn't officially call me his girlfriend, which was part of the emotional abuse, Mm. um, it meant that I I didn't really understand what was happening because I thought as a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old that sexual assault or the overstepping of boundaries emotion like I thought that a lot of these things rape that they all could only happen with a stranger in a dark alley that's Mm. sort of how I viewed it and so because he wouldn't call me his girlfriend I thought well that wasn't rape that wasn't sexual assault that wasn't this or that and um this wasn't intimate partner violence or abuse because he never called me his girlfriend yeah And so it actually took me 10 years to come to that understanding of what that relationship was Mm -hmm. and then another seven years to write my story. Um, So it's it's been a big journey and so that's a bit about that and people will read more about it in the book. I'd like to I'd like to talk about something with you, Jess, because I, I believe that is such an important topic to talk about. And you've already touched on it. Uh, not just the emotional abuse, but also uh the results and the triggers and the outcomes of uh, being victim of emotional abuse mm-hmm. or trauma, um, and or I should say. And it triggered something in me that I noticed after my dad passed, and I have to say there was no emotional abuse attached. Uh, You know, I was very lucky that I had a very close, very beautiful relationship with my dad, very nurturing. And when he passed, I realized only, only later on in hindsight through lots and lots of unhappy, very short relationships, like three months and I was out and it was me and, and, and as I said, you know, it took me years of therapy to actually recognize that and work through that, that I realized that subconsciously, and that's always the trigger part, you know, the subconsciously, the subconscious is what drives our behavior, not our conscious mind. And subconsciously, I had chosen all these guys to be with. Uh, and then they were not all, all intimate relationships, but they were like the beginning of a relationship or whatever, you know, and they were all chosen in a way that I knew already subconsciously, again, not consciously, uh, that I knew they were not the right partners for me. And so I, in my weird, not even consciously understanding it, I chose these partners because I thought, oh, then I don't have to go through that loss part. Then I don't have to go through. Yeah. And because the loss was so great for me, losing my dad wow. at the age of 20, that I subconsciously chose the wrong partners over and over again because I thought, oh, then I don't have to deal with the loss because they, wow, they're that's not. so you know, interesting. It's so bizarre. Wow. And I did that and it took me years of therapy to understand that. And now I'm thinking, you know, getting to know wow. you, getting to know your story, reading your story and knowing about the emotional abuse um, in your childhood through your dad and then choosing that subconsciously again, yep. you know, we don't do that willingly or because it was so much fun. Sorry to sarcasm here. Mm. Uh, but we choose it because that's what we know. That's what we think is normal. That's what we learn that it is okay to allow in. And we don't understand at that age how um 
how wrong that actually is for us, what we're actually allowing in without noticing, without realizing, because we don't know any better. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, uh, if you don't mind, about the emotional abuse. Yeah, yeah. Most people know abuse just as physical wounds, mm. uh, violence, rape, uh, you know, bruises, and, and, you know, all that stuff that you don't see at all in emotional abuse. Can we delve a little bit deeper on that. And I want to share that in a way that people actually recognize the signs that if you're watching this, you are in a situation like that, that you actually have this aha moment. Oh my God, I can't believe I've been in that situation for a while and never recognized it as abuse because I thought I don't have bruises. Can we share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I would like, I would love to talk about that. Um, just quickly, it started raining. So I'm just going to close this window. Sure. <laughs> just give me one Go second. We <laughs> play some elevator music. <laughs> it's going to make a lot of noise. I saw of you. Very pretty. <laughs> That's better. Um, yeah, I think what you were just saying was absolutely right as well for me in that I would I would literally cry in my room and go why do why does nothing ever work out for me? Why do guys tell me they love me and then just leave and mess me around? And I think it was a similar thing to what you spoke about yeah. in that I didn't believe anyone would ever love me and that I I was lovable. And so these relationships never worked out because I was attracting those people who who would leave me and um, betray my trust and all those sorts of things. So very much understand that. Um, yeah, the, the emotional abuse, was it you were asking about why how do people yeah. get into that or? Yeah, well, it was more, uh, yeah, that too, but I just wanted to see for people watching this, they might be in a situation like that and not recognise the signs, you know, how do you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, we just look for the physical signs that are not there in emotional abuse. Yeah, and this is why I'm a really big advocate on understanding the red, the non-physical red flags such as coercive control and gaslighting, which is most famously understood where they make you feel like you're crazy because they deny it they deny everything that they've done and they deny things that they've said. Um, But a lot of people don't understand the non-physical signs. They, like you were saying before, they understand about the worst of the worst in terms of what they think is the absolute worst thing that they could go through, like rape or we see images in domestic violence campaigns and it's always a woman carrying on the floor with bruises, you know, things like that. And and none of that articulately summed up what I'd been through with either my dad or with Blake. And so there are lots of different components to domestic violence or abuse. They can be spiritual abuse. You know, I've worked with I've worked with women who were in 20-year abusive Christian marriages to wow. pastors or sons of pastors, and they were they were spiritually abused not only by their husband but by the church as well Mm -hmm. and I talk about this very openly as someone who is a Christian because I think it's really important that we draw attention to what is happening inside many Christian spaces where spiritual abuse is being used to um yeah to cover up 
what's being done. And so in a lot of those cases, to give you an example, it would be things like, well, you can't divorce your husband because that's not what a Christian woman does, or you just need to forgive 70 times seven. Um, these are all things that have been told to me by my writing clients. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, well, you know, he just seems like such a good guy and, mm-hmm. you know, like he's a great dad. So you just need to show God's love and yeah, forgive him those sorts of things. You know, we've also got financial abuse, which is a really big one. And that also happens a lot um, within, actually, it's a big part of elder abuse. So not only can someone be financially controlled and abused by their partner, but also by their children, especially if their children are caring for them because they're in a home, um, because they're not able to really care for themselves. And so, Financial abuse is a really big one. We see that as a huge factor as to why so many women stay in abusive relationships because, and this is definitely the situation with my mum and our family growing up, was that we we just didn't have the money to go anywhere else. And my dad very much controlled the finances. We only had one car for a lot of my, my childhood and teenage years. And so it wasn't as easy as just packing up and going. So that's another one. And then there are also, you know, there's emotional and mental abuse and a lot of people just overlook that. And I certainly did that with Blake. I would say to myself, oh, he's just being a bit of a jerk. He's had a really hard life. You know, he doesn't really need support. I just need to help him. I just need to fix him. I've I've seen a lot of that in my behavior as well, the wanting to help Mm -hmm. and, oh, you know, he just needs to be loved and he does have a a childhood, whatever, and then you can relate so well because you've been through it and you create this this codependency almost. It's just, uh, or maybe not even almost. I I remember a friend of mine, I've I've mentioned it a few times actually when I shared this story, uh, Isa, she handed me a book. Um, I was 21 and she handed me this book as I said, my dad passed when I was 20. So I've gone through this one year of three super unhealthy, super unhappy relationships. And uh, the last one in particular was really, really emotionally um, abusing. I did not recognize it back then. I did not recognize it as emotional abuse. And I think your book has really helped me understand a lot in hindsight as well. I really need to say this here and, and thank you for that. Um, and she handed me that book and she said, you need to read this, Marie. And the book was by Robin Norwood, When Women Love Too Much. And so many people I share that with go like, oh my God, yes, I've heard of this book. Oh yeah, maybe I should read this too. Uh, it was life-changing for me. It was really life-changing. It talks about the codependency and the behavior that you see uh, that most people know from alcoholism, but not from, from relationship. And it's just quite interesting uh, to see what was going on there. And, uh, you know, in, in that last relationship I was in, I, I, I went down to like 54 kilos. There was nothing left of me. I was literally a, a shadow of myself and, and I felt like such an empty shell. People looked at me like, you look amazing, Mary. And I'm like, I, I felt so empty. I had nothing left. You know, people didn't see on the outside what was really going on within. So I was really grateful to, to have had the right friend around me to point it out and, and say, I think you need to change something here. Uh, yeah, it took me another 10 years of really working through this and delving deep to allow, you know, to, to, to understand, to allow, to allow healing to, um, until I met Rob and that's when everything changed. And that's what I want to get to in your life, Jazz, because you are married today. You are in a 
healthy, happy relationship. And I would like to hear a little bit about that because I really feel the limelight needs to shine on that there are or can be happy endings when we recognize, when we heal, when we allow emotions, when we allow healing in. Can you share a little bit about how you met your husband? And um, hmm. I like I don't that. Have you been, <laughs> ever been asked that before? And I'm very private about my personal life, so maybe that's why I don't talk much about it either. But little as you like. I have to I have to thank you as well for the feedback that you gave me when you read the um, pre-final draft, mm-hmm. because for anyone listening, I actually hadn't talked about this story in there, and Marie was really you need to talk about this. Like you need to share about getting, you know, getting married because that's a really important part to share that there there can be hope and there can be, you know, there can be hope for healthy relationships after trauma. And so, yeah, I mean, we we met um, at the begin, beginning of 2011. And so when you read the book, it's really interesting because I had just been through this period of kind of independence where I left left home, I moved into state, I ended a really, a really loving and positive long-term relationship, but I knew that I was, I needed more out of life. And mm-hmm. so I'd spent this year um, moving away, but I really felt I hadn't made any progress. And I was kind of questioning whether I'd made the right decision with leaving my long-term relationship and moving into state. And it was at the end of that year when I was really not in a good place. I was pretty depressed about where I was in life. I ended up meeting, yeah, the the man that ended up becoming my husband. And it was at a point where I was just about to move back interstate to New South Wales. So we actually spent that year kind of just talking every now and then over Facebook. And it was always, you know, it was always fun. We always just talked like mates, but there was a connection between us and there was charisma between us. And even when I was dating a guy during that year, I remember thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like to date someone like Chris because the guys that I was dating that year, it just, yeah, they weren't great, great relationships either or great people to be dating. And, yeah, at the end of that year I came up to Brisbane. I decided I was going to move back to Queensland and I just really had it in my heart that this is where I was going to live and everything would sort itself out. And in the the space of, I think, two weeks, I ended up, I came up for a visit. Um, I came up to visit Chris as well. And in the space of 24 hours, we were a couple. In the space of two weeks, I had a job. And within like four weeks, I was moved, I'd, I'd moved into state and I was living up there. And so that was the start of our relationship. And then, yeah, we got married in 2014, which was during the time that all the undercover investigation stuff was going on. And yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand that you can, you know, go through the traumas that I have or go through traumas worse than what I have and learn how to attract healthy relationships and learn how to set boundaries and, learn how to have that that healthy intimacy in your life again. And I think that's really important, but it's also important to say that you've really got to take a stand and work at developing those things. I didn't have anyone to teach me how to do that after my sexual assault. I had to learn how to start creating boundaries and sort of working out what my boundaries were and then 
testing the waters by telling my partner what my boundaries were and seeing what his reaction was to that. And then I would grow in confidence and, you know, assert myself a bit more. And it was kind of learning and, and really, really telling myself, well, I need this person to walk the talk. You know, it's not enough for them to say I can trust them. I need them to show me over and over again until I can eventually trust that person. Yeah. And and so I I talk about that in the stories we carry as well. Mm. I, I don't think I've actually even mentioned the name so far, but the my new book's called The Stories We Carry. And um I talk about how I actually learned to create and assert boundaries and what that journey was like and the ups and downs. And it wasn't an overnight thing, you know, and I did almost self-sabotage a really good relationship that I went into, which was that three-year relationship before I, I moved away from home. Because I, again, I just didn't believe that he really was going to be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And he he just kept showing up for me, you know, day after day. And yeah, so it, it is absolutely um, it's it's absolutely possible to go into a healthy and loving relationship or marriage, but you've really got to do the work and you've got to dig deep and see what it is in yourself that continues to attract the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we we want to blame it on either the other person or we want to say we want to vic- go into victim mode and just say, well, obviously I'm not lovable enough. Yeah. But it, it's so much deeper and I had to be very real with myself that I was continuing to put myself in dangerous situations. You know, that was on me. So I had to stop that behavior. I had to change who I was hanging out with. I had to assert myself and my boundaries. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad that you talk about this so openly, Jazz, because I think that this whole self-sabotaging patterns, they are so real when you have been through something like that. And people don't really talk about this, you know, and, and it is so easy to slip back into victimhood behavior because this is where, um, you know, at least we get the soothing or the attention or whatever, but it's not helping. It's not healing us. And I, I only my self-sabotage and my victimhood behavior um, when I was about 30. So my uh, healing journey around that and my recognition around that started in, in my 30s and I oh, I went to town with that. I really wanted to heal that. I didn't like victimhood behavior on me. I didn't think it suited mm-hmm. me. Well. I didn't like getting attention about that. I wanted attention for who I truly was within me and for uh, the beautiful things in life, not, not for victimhood. So I still uh, slightly overreact when somebody puts me to victim order, the poor widow thing. I'm like, yes, I very much feel that too. So there's still a little bit of an overreaction. It's like that balancing act for me to find that in my healing journey. So healing is ongoing in that. And I'm really grateful that you share that so openly because one scene really stood out for me there as well in the book. And that was uh, when you laid under the tree. And I'm not going to say more than that because people yeah. really need to read that. And and that really got to me so deeply. I could feel that so well, what you were going through there. And um, I have goosebumps all over my body right now. <laughs> thinking about your book, the stories we carry. At the moment, there is still a beautiful special out there. We will be posting the links underneath. We're way past time, but I really needed to hear that part too. I wanted <laughs> to have the ending in there. I wanted you to know that it is possible 
no matter what trauma, abuse, uh, assault, whatever you have been through in your life, there is a chance for you to heal. There is a chance for you to have a happy ending. And I believe it takes us to do the first step to want to get out of victimhood, to want to heal this, to want to allow all the emotions in and to sit with those emotions and validate them, whatever they are. So Jazz, you are such a shining example of that. And I just freaking love your heart. Bless you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this. And uh, I would really love to encourage anyone watching this. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button because there's so much more to come. And wherever you're watching this from, please leave us what was your most important takeaway from this in the comments below. Uh, we will leave all the links how you can get in touch with Jazz if you want support in sharing your own story. Massive, massive shout out. Amazing book coach. Uh, Jazz can help you through the process of how to actually get started. You know, that is the biggest thing for most people. Where do I even start with this? Um, I will absolutely leave this up to the expert here right next to me. Jazz, have you got any final words before we sign off here today? Oh, I just thank you so much for just all your support. And I, I I just love the connection between us. And I know you and I both understand so well about trauma and loss and all those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, for anybody that wants to grab the book while it is on that special, the links will be down below, but you can get it from jazzrawlinson.com slash the stories we carry. It's currently on sale, um, a pre-order price. Um, which is ending soon. So now is the time to grab that. So thank you very much, Marie. You're very welcome. And for those of you who missed that, who might watch it a bit later, it is worth whatever you pay for. I can promise you that. So, um, Well, I've had a couple of people now say that they stayed up until 2 a.m. Yeah. I'm the 2 a.m. club now. <laughs> the 2 a.m. club. Of it, yes. and, um, yeah, I had, I had somebody up. Uh, a man actually the other day say this is totally worth the price um the postage price which yeah. was really high praise for me because I know how much I hate paying for postage yeah. um but if you buy it during pre-order at the moment the essentially the postage is free yeah. so I'd really encourage you to do that but yeah, yeah it's I'm excited for it um I'm excited for everyone to start reading it and all the stories and yeah finding that hope and healing blown away by your media attention around that as well you, you've been featured what was the magazine that you've been doing? um it? who magazine career mail yeah. focus magazine mama mia yeah beautiful. absolutely yeah. beautiful just congratulations from the bottom of my heart for speaking up for something that takes so much courage and I can't wait. This is my personal gain to hug you in person in January. I know that. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. So, <laughs> so much love to you all the way up to Brisbane and everybody else. Thank you so much for being here, for watching this. And this is Jazz and Marie signing off. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about Loving Life After Loss, please visit mariealessi.com. I shall see you next week. Bye.